Blog Talk Radio. Wonderful knowledge of the red tent and about sacred union. For all you people out there that are wondering what sacred union is and about feminine and masculine energies, we have brought our own specialist on, and she's going to explain. She has two books out there and published out there, and they're wonderful. I am waiting for my sacred union book, which is amazing, and then participate. Participating in a red tent ceremony in Scottsdale was wonderful. And to find out that she is a big supporter of red tent is also wonderful. And she talks about the inner goddess that is within. 
this is well-rounded and the fact that she's a coach, couple coach, which is very important. She deals with couples and the fact that she has non-judgment and she just choose to choose love and harmony, which is amazing. So I'm going to welcome her into the show. So blessings. Hi, thank you so much. It's so lovely to connect with you on the other side of the globe. um, (laughs) Fills me up. Thank you. No problem. So uh, tell people, um, say your name because I don't want to say it, Tanique. Uh, that's why I didn't it's, want to get it wrong. That's why I didn't say you. Oh, it's all good. It's Tanishka. Tanishka, I like that. Yeah, thank you. And the it has a deeper meaning, Tanishka, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, ancient Sanskrit, which right. is uh, said to be a channeled language, and it means goddess of gold. And uh, I found this out because my birth name was Tanya, um, and. Then I did a sabbatical for a year living in the forest and, um, you know, devoted myself to to serving the sacred feminine and um, I've since broadened that to the masculine as well, I might add. And I'd um, met some lovely Polish men uh, that used to call me Tanishka because it was the pet name for Tanya in Russian. And as soon as I heard it, I just went, oh, that's who I really am, you know, and so I started just using that name, and before I knew it, everyone just knew me as Tanishka, but um, I just finished making a big gold body cast of myself when I found out that it means goddess of gold, so my understanding was that in using that name that so resonated with the inner self, it would help me to recall and download all of my soul's knowledge if that makes sense. So a lot of people are going through that at the moment, um, transitioning from their childhood name, their persona, because your name really anchors that vibration, you know, of, um, you know, all of the conditioning that you've received growing up. So fortunately, you know, with these usernames for uh, social media and, and email and YouTube, it's getting people to different facets of themselves uh, with their name uh, which is helping the inner self the soul to be expressed more and more and often I find people that have nicknames when they've uh, done work with me will then reclaim their larger name in other words they don't want to be diminished anymore or minimized they want to really expand into the fullness of who they are and their their name carries that resonance Wow. See, I love that. That is, see, and we're talking about names do have power. So yeah. when you choose your name or change your name, you change your energy totally, right. and you walk within that energy. That's why a naming ceremony in different cultures were so important. Yeah. So we have kind of lost that art in a way, but we're bringing it back because we're opening up and being yeah. a lot more wiser, which I am so grateful for. Yeah, it's a good time to be in a body. (laughs) Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) We're literally coming out of the dark ages. Right. Right. Like, oh, I have thumbs. (laughs) Woohoo. I like that. I like that. So, um, could you explain to them um, about the red tent first? 
and yes. what it represents. Oh, look. Oh, the red tent. This is, in a nutshell, sanity for women. Um, the red tent is uh, like a womb space that women go to once a month to rebirth themselves. The reason for this is that women are naturally cyclic beings because of our lunar cycle. So once we start menstruating, once we start cycling with the moon, every um, time we bleed, our uterus literally does like a rinse cycle. It collects all that uterine lining and just dismisses that. With that, we have the opportunity for a psychological death and rebirth every month. This is why, you know, we have PMT. It's that crescendo of tension when the inner wild woman comes up and says, God damn it, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not happy with this and this and this. In other words, it's like she's taken truth theorem. She can't shut up. She's like, and another thing, you know, and this has been very sort of demonized by the patriarchal mindset, but, you know, when a woman returns to the red tent, which in the Native American tradition was called the moon lodge, but my understanding is every indigenous culture of women um, created this space of sanctuary once a month where they could go and look at um, what they had experienced in the last month. It's like pushing a reset button where you get to really sit with the self, come home to the self with the support of your sisters and look at what it is you need to acknowledge. In other words, your own shadow, your own unconscious thoughts and behaviors that have played out in your life. Um, And by stopping and reflecting, that is one of the great strengths of the feminine. And that's how we grow our wisdom, by stopping and looking back and and going, what do I have to learn from that? Instead of just, you know, she was a bitch and he was an asshole. You know, it's, okay, what's my lesson in that? Why did I co-create that? And so when we do that, what happens is we get clear, okay? We're no longer carrying all of this unresolved drama and conflict. So then we can use that astrological power time of dark moon, of the void, to set clear intent, clear seeds for the coming month with an awareness of the astrological cycle that we're heading into. Um, And by that, what I mean is whatever sign the new moon is in, whatever zodiac sign, that is like a weather forecast of the lessons that we're going to be presented with that month. So when we come together in the red tent, we discuss, okay, what are we likely to encounter in the coming months? So it's um, ideally an opportunity for women to be supportive for each other, to experience authentic sisterhood. I could talk for a few hours uninterrupted on it. So, yeah, you (laughs) might want to interrupt me, you know. Okay, because it's wonderful. It's that energy that is needed and for people to understand where it comes from and really how it works. Because a lot of us don't understand about that. We're afraid. We're taught it's disgusting. It's nasty. And we put that view of why we actually 
are shedding what's going on with our bodies, uh, with the our children, and we pass this on, and we mm-hmm. don't give them enough knowledge of how to how she, the young lady or the child, to come to your embrace and realize their power in mm-hmm. that time, and that's why women are in different tribes and different. Things that's why they went. It wasn't because they were disgusting or it was bad. It was because they were in their full power. And mm-hmm. other different uh, religions, um, like uh, say Yoruba Santeria, and other different things, they were taught to work with that because they're at their most powerful. So mm-hmm. if you had something to do energetically wise, you mm-hmm. would be able to use that power and make it more forceful and come um, quicker. Because you're in your full essence and you're accepting your full essence and energy, which is amazing because you're actually in your power. And they recognize it. And it's not, oh, (laughs) you know, this is bad. No, this is very good. This is where you want to be. So you're teaching this on. And it was elderly women, the elders, they would come in and embrace you and at you and show you what's going on as a child because you embrace that holy, where we have detached from that in a lot of different ways in this society. We put it in a box and don't even open it. It's time to open the box. It's time to let it out, you know, and let women know there is energy within you, but also it helps you connect with your partner as well and the masculine energy. And we've forgotten that. So that's why we have people like you in the world. To help us. Well, I'm glad you raised this thing about how the red tent assists partnership. You know, um, the couples that I was coaching uh, as research for my Sacred Union book, um, it became obvious that they could not keep doing intimacy, you know, into me, see, looking at each other's shadow, looking at their own shadow without the support of brotherhood and sisterhood circles. Yeah, so for me, as we move into becoming a more conscious society that embraces the sacred um, and basically a tantric way of life, which is not, you know having sex with lots of people you know in the west we've kind of totally got the wrong handle on tantra tantra literally means to weave so it's about weaving a state of communion with self with other and with the natural cycles so the more we attune to the natural cycles and go oh you know it's dark moon i feel tired i feel inward i feel vulnerable i need to go to the red tent you know um the more that we gift ourselves what we need and in doing that we give ourselves intimacy with the self and then we've got more to share at full moon with our partner um you know it's part of a natural tidal um rhythm you know like the infinity sign we come back to the self with the support of our sisters or brothers meeting in brotherhood lodges and then we return out to the community or to our partner to share what we've found within ourselves in that time of seclusion and introspection. I like that. See that? See, that's another perspective. So, you know, with the sacred union, because I like uh, your video 
the gender war that you had. I love that um, mm. because there seems like it's always going on, the gender war. Well, it has been. I mean, we've just come out of the Piscean Age, which um, went for 2,000 years, and the lesson of the Piscean Age was about exploring duality. So, you know, we divided everything into two pillars, two categories, black and white, good and bad, sacred or profane. And that also made a real split between the genders. Mm -hmm. So... um, now that we've just entered into the Aquarian age, which we'll be in for another 2,000 years, it's about finding the similarities, the oneness that will help balance that seesaw of separation of us and them, you know. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a great time um, for, you know, healing old conflicts, but particularly the gender war. Mm-hmm. I believe that. And you you assist for them to become balanced, which I like. Yeah. Um, Now, go ahead. uh, Sorry, go on. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that, you know, the divorce rate is one in three in the Western world currently. And I used to work in the divorce courts and watch these, you know, really polarized couples at the end of the road. And... Um, and I've also been divorced myself and, you know, the child of divorced parents. You know, I don't know anyone that's not really touched by divorce in some way. And um, so that, you know, uh, really created an urge within me to understand uh, why this is the case. Mm -hmm. And until we can balance that feminine masculine within ourselves, we really have no shot at creating a harmony between the opposite. Um, and even if, you know, people are in homoerotic unions, one still plays the role of the feminine, one still plays the role of the masculine. You know, that same dynamic always, uh, you know, opposites attract. So it doesn't matter what your foundation gender is, it's still the interplay of feminine masculine within energies within any relationship. So it's imperative that we see ourselves as souls. And a soul is someone who acknowledges that they're not just their external gender persona, they're also their counterpart, their inner self has both. Uh, And this is why, you know, in the last card in the major arcana of the tarot deck, the world card shows a being that has two heads. And it's not a two-headed monster, it's just when we transcend... Um, the 12 signs of the Zodiac uh, and those lessons, you know, the 12 trials of Hercules, um, the lessons of the ego, then we rebirth, we go through a second birth where we reclaim our fullness, which is, hey, I'm feminine and masculine. And that's what we're seeing happening right now at this time on the planet. We are literally stepping into soul consciousness. So, Uh, we're going to be making more soul-based decisions rather than ego-based decisions. So decisions that are based on love rather than fear, decisions that are based on what our heart, what our inner self is directing us to do rather than, oh, 
how do other people see me, how should I behave in order to get the acceptance of the tribe. And when we're coming from that place of real soul authenticity, speaking our truth, walking our talk, um, we this obviously is going to bring up, um, you know, externally what is really happening within us. So it's a time for a new paradigm of relationship, a relationship and a structure that anchors connection and communion soul to soul. I love that. That's a beautiful explanation. Oh, good. <laughs> so I have a question about your inner inner goddess program that you have. Yeah. Could you explain how it works? Yeah, sure. Basically, um, I ran a nine-month course for women uh, seven times, which was as much an initiation for me as it was for the women, let me tell you. And that then became my book, The Inner Goddess Makeover, which is like a DIY version. The premise of this is that there are seven universal aspects or archetypes that make up the feminine psyche. And each one of these seven feminine aspects that are universal to everybody, men and women, they govern the seven major energy centers within the body, known as chakras in Sanskrit, which are wheels of light. Mm -hmm. So when we consciously understand each one of these facets psychologically, we then can express their strengths, which clears any blocks in each of the, the energy centers, the chakras, so that the energy can flow unimpeded from the base at the bottom of the spine all the way up that central nervous cord to the crown. So what happens when we awaken this energy, which is known as Shakti, um, who was the wife of Shiva, it's the goddess mojo, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's also known as kundalini, which is the serpentine energy, which starts off coiled two and a half times at the base of the spine, around the spine. Now, when we are initiated into these teachings, into the feminine mysteries, that serpent of energy literally unravels and begins spiraling up our spine. This is the tree of life, you know, from the creationist myth. It's not some external garden. It is within our energy system. So when we climb the tree of life, we become, well, we return to Eden. We become enlightened. We become conscious of not just our strengths at the seven gates, but our shadow. In other words, each one of these seven facets has a myth. Now, these myths, You know, if we read about myths in high school, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, right, this really doesn't have any relevance for me, yada, yada, I'm so bored, just chew the top of my pencil. But when we understand that these myths are the stories we all universally enact in our lives, when we understand the story, we can make more empowered choices in terms of how we enact that story in our life. So we're literally taking our power back. So 
um, it's very exciting to be sharing these ancient teachings which have been suppressed for a very long time because, let's face it, the powers that be didn't want an enlightened, um, uh, conscious uh, planet of beings because you can't suppress and control somebody that is self-aware. So hence, you know, the serpent was demonized. Women who uh, taught women's wisdom were demonized, you know, like the evil witch that gives the apple to um, Snow White or the serpent that gives the apple to Eve. You know, we have been indoctrinated to think that that is evil, but it's like we've been living in opposite land, yeah? We have to taste of that apple. We have to take responsibility for our shadow, for our unconscious thoughts and behavior, just like Peter Pan. He ain't going to grow up. He's going to be the lost boy forever unless he allows Wendy to stitch that shadow on and become responsible for his whole self. So it's like we've been children for eons and now we're becoming self-aware. And this is a seven-step tantric awakening for women that not only creates um, this unleashing of vitality of the creative life force so it restores women's libido you know whether they're 18 or 80 um it also gives women that um you know that that glow because true beauty is not going to be found in a face cream or a size 10 figure true beauty is an energy um that comes from self-knowing self-acceptance self-worth self-love and when a woman possesses that yeah she will turn heads when she enters the room so um you know in this whole kind of societal obsession with youth uh when women focus externally on trying to look as young as possible it actually does the opposite it stresses them out and um they look old because they're coming from mind. They're not coming from the heart, from self-acceptance. They're worrying about their use-by date in terms of how they're being seen by others. And so when women unleash their Shakti, their Kundalini, by awakening these seven aspects, literally unveiling the seven sisters, which is why, you know, in the ancient world, Salome and the ancient priestesses would do the dance, the seven veils. It was a celebration to show they had taken this descent to unveil these seven aspects, to reclaim their uh, full goddess selves and remember themselves as divine beings having a human experience. I like that. I really do. That that makes so much sense. And Yeah. You know, truth is simple. I keep, you know, uh, it, it, it's like um, people dismiss women's wisdom as being old wives' tales, but common sense resonates. It resonates very deeply within our heart, within our body as true. And the truth ultimately should be something you can speak to a child and they will get it. When we convolute things, um, that's when we've shifted into mind, into deception, into illusion. So with any um, teaching that is shared, uh, I encourage people to be discerning, 
to check in with the body and to see, okay, does this make me feel relaxed? Does it make me feel expanded? Does it make me feel joyful and inspired? Does it literally raise my energy? Or does it create contraction, fear, confusion? In other words, spiraling the energy down in entropy. Because our body, our body knows it's our barometer for truth. Mm-hmm. Cool. I like that. Right along. So it's in sync with everything that you're doing, especially with the harmony. Yeah. Especially the harmony. And you also take them. You have uh, things with the chakra program that I see with the chakras, which I love. I really love that. Yeah, well, you know, we're all here to be the rainbow bridge, which sounds like hippy trippy talk, but, <laughs> you know, ultimately, um, we are energy. Yeah, everything in the material realm is made up of vibrating molecules of energy. And so it makes sense that we acknowledge the energy body which is within us. And those, so understanding those seven major energy um, spheres. Uh, and that uh, each one of those spheres is literally the different colors of the full seven color rays which make up the rainbow. When we clear each of those energy centers, we literally become like a clean funnel for anchoring heaven on earth. In other words, we are able then to anchor our own higher self, our soul, into our body temple So our mouth, our hands, our eyes can literally be the vessel for the divine intelligence because each and every one of us has put our hands up to be here, to incarnate at this time, to be of service. We've each got a jigsaw piece, yeah? Right. And so uh, first we need to clear the channel. You know, I have a lot of people have come to me over the years um, for readings, um, specifically to find out what their purpose is and in particular men because a man without a purpose is lost you know uh, this is why we see a lot of suicide in young males it's you know because they haven't found their purpose and until we clear those channels until we um, get to know those seven archetypes or aspects for women it's the uh, the goddesses first and foremost because that's the foundation gender we've incarnated to heal within ourselves. For the men, it's the seven masculine archetypes or the seven inner gods mm-hmm. and I speak about those in my Sacred Union book that came out last November. Right. So when we understand those aspects and clear the the channel, so to speak, then we can pull through why we've come here, why we've taken a body and and the gifts that we've honed in many other uh, lifetimes. Cool. I like that. This and many lifetimes. I would have never, you know, visualized that. <laughs> we got I a mean, lot more men in our room tonight than we do women. <laughs> That's oh, very unusual. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so pleased because, you know... Um, it is a time for for the the brothers to come together. You know, men I feel have even fared worse during the patriarchy than women, mm-hmm. because women at least we talk. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know yourself, you know, Ceci, you can be in a public toilet and start speaking with a woman about the most intimate stuff and you've never met her before, you know, or on a beach, you know, whereas men um, have been conditioned Mm -hmm. to keep to themselves and only um, project this kind of exterior that is macho and surface level connection. So without the brothers really connecting, mm-hmm. um, they have been very disconnected from their masculine uh, empowerment. So it is time for the brothers to come together, you know, to heal and to empower themselves and their masculinity, especially because since the 1960s, when the feminine really rose up, but in a very political way, um, you know, men were kind of energetically kicked in the balls, you know. They were shamed for their masculinity. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been seeing with my clients more and more, you know, the effects of that. Men that are in that second stage of masculinity. Um, I can go through the three stages of uh, masculine and feminine empowerment if you want. Oh, that would be lovely. Yeah, pencil that. And paper out, ladies and gentlemen, like I tell you. <laughs> I told y'all earlier in the thing, bring your pencils and papers when you come to class, because this is class. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'll start with the brothers, since we've got more um, of the guys present for this uh, interview. Okay. Basically, the first stage of manhood is when a man is leading with his masculine energy polarity, Mm -hmm. but it is unconscious. So in other words, he is acting in a way that he has been taught is masculine, which can be a combination of, all right, well, I've got to have muscles. I've got to have a lot of general knowledge about stuff. I need to know how to fix light bulbs and change tires. I um, need to project an image that is strong, the strong silent type. You know, John Wayne, um, the, the Western actor, um, but, yeah, someone who is um, macho, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the second stage is when men rebel against that and they go, hang on a minute, you know, I'm not just this one-dimensional, strong, tough guy, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to be this one-dimensional cartoon character of a man. And I don't want to be um, tied with all the unconscious men in the Darth Vader patriarchal times that, you know, were all about power and domination of nature, of the feminine, which is, you know, the inner self. So a lot of men in the second stage of masculinity are what we call the new age snags, the sensitive new age guy, yeah? Mm -hmm. and. That's when they're leading from their feminine polarity. So they've swung to the other extreme and rejected their masculinity, okay, in order to get acceptance from the feminine. Okay, so these are the guys that in the shadow are like often heavily addicted to pot because pot... um, and I should say, you know, in the Piscean age, we tended to drink our toxin, alcohol, because it was a water sign, just like we discovered new lands by sea, 
Um, whereas in the Aquarian age, it's an air sign. People are tending to smoke their toxin and we're sending information through the air, you know, through the internet and um, satellite technology. So what's happening for the men in this second group is that they're looking for their cues of how they should be to the women in their lives, starting with their mother and then their partners. So they're not leading, they're not expressing their authentic self. They're like, oh, whatever you want, honey, or, you know, how high do you want me to jump? Mm. Um, and so ultimately these are the nice guys that go, why don't I get the girl or why do I get rejected and treated badly by women when I'm being the goddamn nice guy, why is it assholes that end up with the women? And the reason for that is women feel attracted to the masculine in its power. When the masculine energy is empowered, it is confident like the inner sun at the solar plexus to lead, mm -hmm. to assert, to make the first move, to make decisions. You know, I was recently um, on a road trip with a beautiful brother who was at the second stage of his masculinity. So he was fantastic company um, and he was very honouring of me as a woman mm -hmm. and that was so nice to be around. But there was no sexual attraction because his masculine self was not strong enough, Okay. And it's interesting, what I discovered was he had a piercing through the head of his penis. Mm. Now, yeah. Now, for me, it struck me like a bolt of lightning that he had literally crucified, symbolically, his masculinity. And then it occurred to me that, wow, piercings are scarifications, which are literal signposts to where we are holding woundedness where we have scars okay and i've been speaking to a group of men just a few days before about their pornography addiction and um afterwards one of them came up to me and his tongue piercing fell out and he said i guess i don't need this anymore you know so you know, any bit of metal that is pierced through our skin is literally obstructing the flow of chi, the flow of energy. So to any guys out there that have a piercing through the head of their penis, mm -hmm. I would strongly uh, suggest you entertain the possibility of taking it out um, because whilst it offers an initial thrill, in terms of, you know, sexual arousal, um, because any flirtation with death, with destruction, with self-harm offers an initial thrill, okay, just like joy riding or anything where we're on that edge. Right. But because there's two ways to ecstasy, there is devotion and there is destruction, okay? So to take it out because whilst there may be an initial thrill when you first get the piercing, it then deadens the nerves. It then deadens the sensations. So, um, you know, because our bodies are constantly um, reanimating themselves so that, you know, every seven years we end up with a completely um, new chassis. 
um, you know, men do not need to worry that they've deadened um, their sensations forever and a day. But suffice to say, this beautiful man uh, that I travelled with, you know, he had such a hard time making a decision. Um, it even, um, in the way that he walked, you could see that he didn't have that golden pillar of light from the sun going right down through his energy field. You know, he kind of schlepped about. When he drove, he was indecisive. Mm. So all of these things from a woman's perspective, you go, well, honey, I can't surrender to that. And the natural um, urge, the yearning for the feminine is to find a masculine pole, a masculine polarity that is so strong mm -hmm. in his connection to spirit, to the sun, that he's found his purpose and he's leading with it, okay, in honour of the feminine, then a woman can feel safe to surrender to that, okay, mm -hmm. to be in the, the receptive polarity, which is the feminine. If a woman is beside a man who is at that second stage of masculinity, she feels like she's got to wear the pants. She's got to organise things. She's got to make the decisions. And then she starts resenting him. And mm -hmm. not having the ball. And kills the sex drive. Okay? Because if you don't... If you're not turned on by a man's ability to lead, you, you can't fake that. You're just not turned on. So this is why, you know, a lot of couples have ended up having a dynamic which has been more like brother-sister, more like siblings, like friends, and the passion has died. So for men to step into that third stage of the awakened man, the key is brotherhood circles. The wow. reason for this is, just like the red tent, when men come together with the intent of empowering themselves and each other energy follows intent okay so what happens when a man sits in a circle with men that have a commitment to that intent and they pass a talking stick around and they speak from the heart from that authentic inner voice okay which is one of truth it's one of vulnerability okay when they share that Every man mirrors back to every other man a different facet of himself. So that by the time that talking stick has gone around the whole circle, every man has seen his strengths, his weaknesses, his stories, his vulnerabilities, and seen, oh my God, we're all the same. Yeah, I don't have to try to be better than anybody, any other guy. And it dissolves that Darwin sort of survival of the fittest mentality, which puts a man in conflict. It puts him in a state of separation from his brothers. Okay. So when he can find that bromance, that real authentic love of brother, seeing himself in the other, opening his compassionate heart to his brothers and going, I really love men. I love the masculine, you mm -hmm. know, and feeling so honoured to be led into a space of true intimacy with other brothers. It helps him to accept 
his own masculinity, loved his own masculinity. And only when a man loves his masculinity can he fully embody it and walk it and step into it. And then you watch. You're going to become a beacon for women. Women are going to be like, wow, who is that man? That mm-hmm. man walking tall. That man is speaking his truth. But it's deep sensitivity with deep honoring. Now, the other thing that is crucial in this, you can't go from step one to step three. Men have to go through that middle place of the snag, of the confusion, of deep vulnerability, because that is the awakening of the king. In other words, a knight is a young buck that projects what he thinks is masculine. That young buck at some point is going to be totally brought to his knees by life. And that is essential because that is when he confronts his own inner feminine, his own inner vulnerability. And when he can accept that, he becomes whole. So a king is not a man that has the most property, the biggest car or the biggest cock. A king is a man that has embodied his inner feminine. So he is whole. But then he has come back to his masculine as being his leading gender polarity. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of women who have been meeting in women's circles, activating their goddess mojo, and they're like, well... I don't want to be with a snag and I don't want to be with a real dominant asshole. So <laughs> let's get those brothers meeting. Let's get the brotherhood circles happening because I'm only waiting for a king. Nothing right. less, you know? So believe me, the men that um, risk sharing their vulnerability in a safe space with other men are going to get every reward of divine providence, including a goddess to be in sacred communion with. So I'm actually running a online course to train men to run brotherhood lodges, to run men's circles starting the 5th of April. Wow. So um, I did a test case of a brotherhood lodge here a couple of years ago to see if what I've devised works, and it, it worked beautifully. So... Um, I'm, you know, I've got nearly 20 years of facilitating group dynamics and uh, I want to be able to impart that knowledge to the men so that the men can start running these circles because it's not the place of a woman to run a men's circle mm-hmm. but I can certainly pass on the tools to men. Okay. You want me to go through the three stages of empowering the feminine? Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> it's basically, yeah, the same thing but in reverse. So if a woman uh, is in the first stage, she's leading with her feminine, but it's an unconscious feminine. So it's based on what she thinks is being sold to her as the perfect woman. So she might try and have a size 10 body, bleach blonde hair, silicon-injected boobs, collagen-injected lips, and... Um, defer to men in all matters, uh, have a a job that um, is not too uh, on the edge or risque, um, 
you know, in other words, she's not going to rock the boat, yeah? Right. She's okay. going to be a good girl. She's going to try and be the perfect girlfriend, the perfect daughter, the perfect wife, the perfect employee. She's going to want to be nice so no one dislikes her, okay? <laughs> but it's all an act. It's all role play. None of that's authentic, okay? That's Eve, the girl, the prototype that's been sold to women, and that's pretty much in every ad on TV and in every glossy mag. But that is selling disempowerment, okay? So... Um, the second stage of feminine empowerment is when a woman goes, bugger that, I um, am so tired of being nice and being treated like crap. So that's when she swings to the other polarity and becomes a ball-breaking Amazon. Mm. So this phase we saw very much in that women's lib era where and then into the 80s with shoulder pads, where women then tried to take external power by leading with their masculine polarity. This is when women focus on, I've got to make money, yeah, because the masculine, you know, provides and protects. So this is when women um, often psychically armour up and try and project an image of, I'm tough, I can do it myself, um, and, you know, it might be because they're having to literally provide and protect as a single mother. That's certainly a journey that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they have to embody the masculine in order to survive as a family unit. So, again, this is, um, you know, a phase that women go through. You'll often see a lot of women in that phase wearing pants, wearing um, tailored clothes, okay, which chop the feminine energy, which spirals up into geometric shapes. Um, so it literally puts women in that rational, compartmentalized way of thinking because that's how their energy is flowing. Mm-hmm. So to break out of that glass ceiling, women need to return to the feminine to find the power in the feminine and they can do that in two ways one is by going to red tent circles and attuning to the lunar cycle um, by finding true sisterhood true support from women Um, and the other is by activating their shakti as I was saying before by unveiling those seven aspects ideally it's through doing both likewise with the guys uh, unveiling their seven masculine archetypes and going to brotherhood lodges and attuning to the solar cycle. Um, and that's something that um, I've devised as a as a template for the men, how to work with the solar cycle each month in men's circles. For women, uh, it's about working with the lunar cycle because... Uh, Women are ruled by the moon, men are ruled by the sun. So for us to really um, empower that feminine or masculine polarity, we need to live lives that are honouring that cycle and the effect that it has on us emotionally, physically, mentally and energetically. That is so true. And I'm loving that. They're talking about... So you said you developed the plan. And how long is... Uh, the program for the men to do yeah. the brotherhood training. How long is that? That's six weeks. 
Okay. And um, the same for the women. I'm actually starting a Red Tent Women's Circle Facilitator course on February 15. Both courses go for six weeks, and um, they're weekly modules that I email to people um, that include webinars and, uh, you know, slideshow, PowerPoint, educational um, downloads, as well as podcasts, um, PDF um, uh, modules. And then at the end, if people want to, as an option, I offer uh, additional mentoring in the form of conference calls mm-hmm. and um you know, unlimited email support for when they're starting their own circle. Um, but in addition, those that do the training will become part of a group forum for all the facilitators so they can share experiences and ideas because it's so important that leaders, those that are stepping into leadership roles, have the support of fellowship. Um And in addition, um, I'm also creating an online global directory of men's circles and women's circles. So those that do the training will be able to list where they're running their circle and the contact details. So anyone can, you know, punch in women's circles, men's circles and look up where is the closest one to me in my area because we're literally going to see these popping up, you know, in every suburb all over the globe. Uh, it's time, you know, the Aquarian age is primarily about brotherhood, sisterhood, about, um, you know, healing the gender war by uh, healing our differences and the first step is brotherly, sisterly love. So um, now that we're in the energy of the Aquarian age that we've entered into the photon belt, the, the age of light, this is the time, this is the time to start gathering and this is how we will literally reclaim the power of the people and transform society as we know it. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So they're going to pop up all over the place, which I'm happy about. And I know Mm -hmm. that my friend does a retreat once in a while, uh, that uh, she does a, a woman's retreat, matter of fact, in New Zealand. Oh, I have a question from the room. Okay. Uh, she He wants to know how many people thus far has uh, responded to the call for the Brotherhood training that you've you put out so far for this uh, year. Well, I haven't um, set up the registration for that. I've okay. just been focusing on the Red Tent one, which um, starts in a month. Okay. So all I've done is sort of put out um, you know that it will be starting, and I will be taking registrations, but I haven't opened up the registration process yet. So um, if people, you know, want to find out when the registrations open for the Brotherhood Lodge training, mm-hmm. um, you can either join me um, if you go to my website, which is staroftar.com, and Ishtar is spelled I-S-H for Harry. T-A-R, so that's starofishtar.com. And if you punch your email in on the homepage there, um, it adds you to my free e-club and you'll get updates every new moon and full moon about the astrological transits that are happening and how to how to cope with them, but also the, the latest updates on the online courses and events that I'm running. I love that. I just put it in the chat room so people can find you. Oh, thank you. 
That's easy. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Thank <laughs> you. That's right. So that we can get that down and also putting the red scent um, operation because you tell you're going you uh, help people put them together, which is really good too, or to facilitate a red tent. And you have really wonderful information. That's why I thought you were an inventor of the red tent. <laughs> Bless you. Oh, you know, the red tent is um, a very, very ancient tradition. And so my understanding is that myself and other women all over the planet just in, responded to an intuitive call, an intuitive directing to create these circles. Um, and I've run them for 17 years. So, you know, the longer I did them, the more I um, received intuitively in terms of the role of the red tent, the purpose, the structure, when to do it, when not to do it. Yeah, so like anything, it's like a muscle. The more you work it, the more you hone it, the more you get it, you know? Right. Right. That's, that's awesome. So... Okay, you work with couples and they come together, especially when they see their sacred um, union. Do you work, like, with the fire breath and uh, coaching them emotionally and spiritually for them to connect? Or do you have them um, understand each other's role, like you're, you're understanding, helping us understand the role that we as ladies have gotten out of because of, uh, situations and circumstances, but how to embrace that inner goddess as well as the men. Yeah, look, um, with the work that I do, um, it was primarily to road test um, a seven-step program that I'd intuitively downloaded for couples, which is to create the Heros Gamas, which is a Greek word meaning holy wedding. Mm-hmm. And um basically this might sound pretty out there but come with me um <laughs> this is what i know in my heart of hearts that i lived back in ancient babylon and so babylon the word babel babylon meant gateway to the gods and so what i've downloaded are the practices that we used to do back then okay so, and every New Year's Day on Spring Equinox, the whole um, city of Babylon would celebrate the holy wedding of the god and the goddess. And in our Western culture, we've completely misunderstood what they were doing and why. But um, I go into great detail in my second book, which is coming out on Valentine's Day, which is um, Sacred Union, Awakening to the Consciousness of Eden, Volume 2, which is Creating Sacred Union and Partnerships. And so I go through the full Heros Gamma um, journey so that couples can do that in their own lives. But in a nutshell, what it is is this. To create conscious partnerships, we need to connect at the seven gates. And I call this the seven dates at the seven gates. So when we connect uh, unconsciously, we see someone that we're sexually attracted to and the sort of modern way has been to jump into bed within the first date or two. And what this does is it bonds couples at the base chakra, which is 
the energy that holds all of our fears, all of our dependency, all of our survival needs. So when we've bonded with somebody there, um, the lower selves are driving the bus, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is why we end up, um, you know, often re-wounding each other and um, creating very immature relationships. So when we connect from the crown chakra down by, for instance, you know, at the first date, discussing what are your spiritual values, yeah? How do you get high on devotion, yeah? Um, and finding out whether or not you're compatible there, okay? Next is third eye, so this is the seed of wisdom. So the next day, you know, they're like a series of conversations, you know, but um, uh, in addition to being conversations, I recommend that couple road test. So in other words, you know, it might be that she gets her spiritual high by going to dance meditation or going to an ashram and chanting. So she might say, hey, come with me. Come and experience how I get one with spirit, you know. Oh, and likewise, uh, and that is because the goddess that governs the crown chakra is Ishtar, the Magdalene, the high priestess, and the way she gets high is through devotional practices. Whereas the masculine archetype or god that governs the crown chakra is Dionysus, who's like the Zen Buddha the god of ecstasy and hedonistic pleasure. Mm -hmm. So the way he becomes one with the universe might be through shamanic herbs like ayahuasca or peyote or mescaline, yeah? Uh, mm -hmm. Or through making his home brew, okay? Mm -hmm. So he might invite her to try his pathway to ecstasy. Mm -hmm. Ideally, we have a balance of two, like the infinity signs. So it's a way of getting to know each other down through the gate. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense that I can see the connection. Right. And so what this does is it connects you soul to soul. So by the time you get to the seventh gate, to the base chakra and get it on, all right, you know who you're getting it on with. You know them intimately, mm -hmm. okay? And you've built up trust at the seven gates so by doing this it means that you are getting to know someone step by step so that you know uh, by unveiling these divine aspects and self-awareness step by step you might discover that this person isn't perhaps the love of your life or going to be someone that you're sexually intimate with but you've found a brother you've found a beautiful male friend that you can hang out and play with or have amazing conversations with or, do you know? Mm -hmm. Or you might find that this is somebody, you know, you get to the second gate and you just go, whoa, I'm so glad I didn't jump right in. Mm -hmm. What I've discovered is really putting up flags of caution. So because the person that we lie with sexually leaves an imprint energetically for seven years, you know? we need to be a lot more discerning about our sexual uh, behavior 
um, so that, you know, we're not becoming uh, enmeshed with people energetically that we, you know, there's aspects of ourselves that don't feel safe with these people or, um, you know, don't feel honoured or truly seen by these people. Right. So um, the couple's uh, coaching sessions are the reverse of this process. Okay. This is where we start at the base chakra. So this is for existing couples that have found the shadow has come up and they're feeling resentful. The, mm. the passion may have died or they're feeling that I can't live with you but I can't live without you dichotomy. Right. You know, they're, 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 they're suffering, okay? That's when they come to me. <laughs> and what I do is I go, all right, Instead of us playing the blame game, mm -hmm. I have a deck of shadow cards that I created. They're not pretty. It, you know, they look like they could have been made by a child. But basically, they're just bits of card where I've put every shadow trait I could think of on these cards. So one card might have written on it, resentment another card might have martyrdom another one might have laziness another one might have envy yeah i've just mm -hmm. put as many shadow traits down as i can think of right. i get them first of all to connect energetically at all seven gates okay so that they're connecting soul to soul and i do that through taking them through a meditation practice right and sitting in lotus in yab yum, which is a tantric yeah. position. Love it. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I get them to anoint each other to honor the mm -hmm. the god and the goddess or the sacred feminine masculine each other. Or if they don't feel comfortable with that, just to speak their heart's truth to each other, you know. But to, the word anoint means to make sacred. In other words, to honor that this is a sacred being in front of you. This is your mirror. This is your teacher. You know, this is not your scapegoat. <laughs> I like that. Boy, you know, yeah. Right. So right. then we use the shadow cards, and each person, one at a time, shuffles that deck, that Pandora's box, and they pull out three cards. And these are the three cards, the three things they need to own, their shadow aspects at the base chakra, at that first gate, right. okay, that their wild man, their wild woman needs to acknowledge has been unconscious and has been negatively impacting on them and on their partner. So then I act as a kind of referee and a coach using humor, using a lot of empathic, compassionate, higher heart space to encourage them to own their shadow behavior with their beloved. And what happens, you literally see the psychic armoring just fall off, mm. yeah? And as the couple comes back over seven months, they meet once a month with me and then I give them homework to... Um, to uh, journey those aspects more deeply with each other over the month, you watch them falling in love with each other all over again, but at a much deeper level of uh, real soul uh, communion. 
and it's it's an honor to watch couples i mean uh, a lot of them have been parents with of young families mm-hmm. and they've simply found that you know there's a great uh quote by Susan Malhart from her book The Mask of Motherhood that says a baby is like a hand grenade thrown into a marriage and boy that is true because in our current societal structure where we're not living in interdependent conscious community, as soon as a couple has young babies, young children, it isolates them because children need routine. You know, um, so, you know, without the support and the stimulus of brother-sister connections, it becomes this kind of competition of who's more drained, who's more tired, who's working harder, and that erodes uh, the goodwill, and they end up just, you know, being at war with each other, uh, which, of course, is not a solid foundation for partnership. And a lot of um, partnerships fall apart when a child turns two. This Mm. seems to be, you know, the, the sort of end of the rope for many when they go, I can't take it anymore, you know. So um, not only do we need to look at the restructuring of our society, but, um, you know, by having this space where a couple um, can literally just come together and focus on the relationship, on themselves, on each other, and renew their commitment and their love for each other once a month, it means they take that back uh, and, you know, can then sustain that um, early parenting stage, which is very, very demanding energetically, emotionally, um, you know, without the relationship falling apart. Okay. That makes sense. Makes much sense. And uh, and the connection through the chakras really... Um, could you explain the Yabiyum position for people oh, yeah. that don't know what that is? I know. Uh, sure. Yeah, basically, um, this is where the man sits in what's called lotus, which is just cross-legged on mm-hmm. the floor or on the bed, um, and a woman nestles herself um, sort of sitting inside Uh, his legs so his legs are around her and she wraps her legs around his spine so that um, she can sit on top of him and they can bow third eye to third eye which um, you know this is the um, the center of soul to soul communion I also recommend couples getting into this position if they've had a scrap because before you can start to talk about the issues, if you first connect soul to soul by getting in a position like this, you've got a lot more chance of, um, and just, you know, meditating, just uh, you might want to put on some music that helps to just create a relaxed, ambient um, vibe. But by communing third eye to third eye, you've got a lot more chance of speaking from a place of vulnerability, which is soul, rather than attack and defense, which is the ego. Mm-hmm. 
So if um, this position is uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. what I recommend is that um, the man sits so that his legs are simply wrapped around hers and she is wrapped around his. So both are being supported by the floor. They're not sitting on their partner's legs, but they're wrapping their legs around each other, sort of like scissoring each other. Um, And this literally creates a pyramid, a cone of power, a Mm -hmm. vortex for the energy to be directed upwards. So it Mm -hmm. creates a temple space. Yeah, I like that. And I love the yum-yum position. You just want to be careful who you do it with and that you're sure that you want to connect because it also opens uh, you up for that energy to travel back and forth. It's like... It's like a DNA um, energetic spiral kind of a situation, like the DNA. Uh, you see the pictures of DNA. That's how I picture the energy tra- traveling from the root chakra up. It's like you got, a, it's you got it. <laughs> and then it goes up. <laughs> yeah. Um, what it does is it enables the inner light serpents to spiral up around a central rod which they are creating between them yeah the word tantra like i said uh, means to weave so before we can have harmonious emotional mental and physical interaction it really helps to establish this interweaving of our light serpents of our energy bodies our light bodies so this position is also wonderful to do before lovemaking the connection yeah. definitely heart connection I like that the heart connection uh, with an opening and sharing the sharing on the energetic level and the spiritual level it's, it's deeper you know how people just say well I just want to I just want to have sex and it's not really you know nothing wrong with that having that sometime but that when you do that position you're opening your center your energy to them and they're open their center to you that you're connecting that it's so spiritual sometimes just sitting in that position you can um go in an orgasmic state because the connection yes. is so intense because of love and the joy that flows between you know your chakras that are going through it. it's like um energy going through, from, through, from, through, from, that it shoots out the top of your crowns and it's like uh, shaking, you know, earth shatter yes. shaking kind of a situation. Absolutely. So, it's so. like creating a volcano. Right. It's literally directing the energy up. And so, you know, it can create shudders known as creas, um, which are like bolts of energy. So it's electrifying. It's it's like a youth elixir too you know it's right. like a health regime you know you you generate and build that energy all the way up from the base to the crown it's got to be good for you <laughs> right I, I like that that's really cool because it's um also it helps you also get in touch with that conalini energy and people right. think the conalini energy is only um aspect of sex but it's not being yeah. taught it's your energetic being open up more than just sex, but your whole uh, auric field in spirituality that you expand each time it gets deeper and deeper 
and expand so much. Uh, your thinking, your thought, the way you do things, which I'm uh, so grateful for um, of learning, <laughs> if, yes. if you will. And um, can you tell people about Kanalini Energy for people that don't understand so we can erase the the, the program that's put in us and put the proper perspective of the Kanalini Energy that is in, what it is in Sanskrit? Yeah, well, look, I can share what I know, um, <laughs> primarily through direct experience rather than a lot of study. Right. Um, you know, Kundalini um, is the life force. So um, when we've opened those seven gates, we will often experience what I mentioned as kriyas. A kriya is like a huge bolt of energy that moves from the base right up to the crown or it can originate in one of the other chakras. Um, for instance, if something moves you, you might get a big boom opening of a particular, you know, like the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we've been taught to fear kundalini mm-hmm. because kundalini, um, it's a powerful energy. Okay, so... This is why, um, you know, if one uh, is to do drugs, for instance, they can have a kundalini um, emergence crisis where the kundalini opens, the serpent um, rises up so suddenly through all seven gates that they feel like they're going mad. Mm. And the symptoms for... uh, Kundalini emergence and a psychotic episode are identical. So this is why, um, you know, if people are going to do psychedelics like mushrooms or DMT or LSD um, or even pot or ecstasy, anything that goes up has got to come down, yeah? Right. Or anything that really opens you up suddenly, um, you know, you've got to respect the down and the need to integrate what you experience in that expanded state. If we don't take the time to integrate consciously through journaling, through um, talking about our experiences, um, through writing them down helps to anchor them, drawing what we've visioned and scrying into it and reading the symbols and deriving the messages so that our conscious brain, our 10% rational self, can catch up to what the 90% subconscious mind has exposed it to. If we don't do that, we literally blow a gasket. And this is when people think they're the Messiah or, you know, mania um, can take the form of, you know, feeling absolutely so charged by a creative project that you just want to work on it 24-7 and you can't sleep uh, and where you start to go into this deluded state where you think, you know, it's the most important thing that is going to affect everyone's lives. Mania can also take the form of rage. So if people have had a lot of trauma in their childhood um, but it has been suppressed, mm. particularly with, say, um, you know, um, uh, habitual 
a marijuana habit, mm-hmm. um, they might go to a Kundalini uh, awakening event like a chanting event or a dance meditation or an active uh, chakra breathing, chakra sound meditation and find that that literally, like Pandora's box, unleashes all of their rage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very important that people um, consider awakening that serpent of Kundalini through a seven-step program, working on one chakra a month, mm-hmm. because this allows us to meter that energy out. Um uh, and this is why a lot of young kids end up in psych wards, you know, post-rave culture, because they've just, you know, um, you know, opened up all of these gates simultaneously, but they haven't had um, an experienced shaman to help them integrate the experience. Mm. See, that's why we need to have more women lodges and brother lodges for them to understand so it takes them and helps them grow a lot more so that, you know, what you're saying is that it definitely is going to pop up, but it's definitely needed for quite some time so they can learn how to deal with this um, and have what we call a shaman or a medicine woman or a medicine man uh, yeah. take them through the changes uh, with uh, uh, elders and guardians that, that they're called and help them go over. Absolutely. You know, the thing I'm probably most passionate about at the moment is the need for women's circles and men's circles because, you know, I see particularly in that um, trance dance culture and I'm, you know, trance dance is one of my favourite paths to ecstasy. I love to dance. It's my, my religion, you know. But in that culture there, it is steeped in synthetic drugs. And um, and also, you know, natural uh, organic drugs. But the thing is, is that uh, that causes people to disassociate from themselves, from each other, and so they think they're creating community, right. but they're not even communing with themselves. Okay. So, you know, when we can um, develop... Um, more devotional pathways to ecstasy, people Mm -hmm. won't seek out the synthetics because, you know, with a devotional path to ecstasy, such as sacred dance, chanting, um, creating mandalas, there's no down. There's only an up. So, uh, and then you integrate it naturally. Whereas, you know, if you create a synthetic high, you're going to get a big a big low afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, there is a, definitely a place for um, herb divas, you know, for us to journey using these as tools, as keys to open up our states of consciousness. So I'm mm-hmm. not saying say no to drugs, you know, but what I am saying is let's respect them. Let's use them to journey with as tools not just shovel them in like a drug pig, um, a glutton, you know, and and delude ourselves that we're living community because, you know, the heart of community comes out of communion. 
And these circles are the practice for developing communion with self, with brother, with sister, and that's the practice ground for then being able to do communion with your opposite and do uh, conscious relationships. We can't, as a society, anchor soul union relationships until we've learnt to do brother-sister circles. That's the preparatory step. Okay. Well, uh, audience, uh, well, someone in the room would like to know, what are the symptoms of, you know, just overflooded with Connellini energy? Um, because, like you said, they're the same thing as psychotic. Yeah, well, basically it's when someone is manic so they can't sleep very well, so a lot of insomnia. They might feel very impatient and scattered, like not able to center, and therefore that then results in a loss of appetite. Food is one of the ways that we ground. So that creates a cycle where if someone's not eating, they might be living on cigarettes and coffee and, yeah, more and more stimulants and not able to ground the energy. The fastest way to ground is to get down on the ground and put your third eye on the ground and send any excess energy rays down into the earth. Other than that, I recommend massage, self-pleasure, lie down on the ground, walk around barefoot, try and eat root vegetables, um, you know, grounding foods, which are things which are red in color, like the base chakra. So Mm -hmm. kidney beans, tomatoes, um, yeah, so uh, red lentils. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the other um, symptoms of, you know, psychotic uh, behavior or kundalini emergence is that delusional state when we think what we're doing is so important more important than anyone else or uh, you know because ultimately we're all important equally we've all come here as I was saying earlier with a jigsaw piece with a uh, an area of genius with a um, information that only we have access to to contribute to the greater good so uh, whilst someone might be further along realizing what that information is to share we're all equal in this you know right so um, yeah it can make people very agitated quick to anger okay mm. so um, and often you know what is sitting beneath that anger is is grief so you really like to help bring someone back into their body back into their emotions um, you just want them to be in as much nature as possible so not fluorescent lights not on the computer um, you know to literally dim the stimulus okay Mm -hmm. because uh, what happens someone in that state often doesn't want to come down, yeah? So mm-hmm. um, they may resist your attempt to help bring them back into their body. Um, body work, any body practice such as yoga, qigong, tai chi uh, is also great for helping to bring that energy back down through all the chakras because otherwise 
if that energy isn't brought back through, like a shooting star, it it spirals off into mania and burns itself out in nervous exhaustion. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I know nursing an ex-partner through a psychotic episode. Uh, for those that find themselves in a position where, you know, they're having to hold the space for someone that's in that um, state, you need more than yourself because it literally fries your energy field just being around them. My hair, which is naturally curly, looked like I'd stuck my hand in a socket, like it was just a frizzball, you know. And you feel like you're mad trying to hold the space for someone who is, having um, paranoias and delusions and, yeah, whether mm-hmm. it's fearful delusions or delusions of grandeur. So, um, you know, get support. And if the other person doesn't want to take you up on the offers that you're trying to help them with, then, you know, you need to exercise self-care and they need to go into a psych ward because... Like the old saying, you can only help someone who's helping themselves. So, um, yeah, you know, when it comes to mental illness in the Western model, you know, it's medicate and um, lock someone away. I do not advocate this as a first measure unless that person exercises um, destructive behaviour towards others and they're a risk to others or a risk to themselves. But honouring the soul's emergence that this is energy that's coming through um, like the tower card you know like a bolt of lightning where the soul is saying that is it I'm done with the old way of being Mm -hmm. and it's great honour to witness someone going through that emergence from their chrysalis but um, it needs to be done with support, with understanding. Otherwise, the carers themselves will end up wearing the cost of it. Okay. Now, I do have a question. I had a friend that was going through a huge Connellini, um energy, and his. it just happened to go that his sex drive went through the roof, and yeah. he was married, and uh, the partner uh, was... I, you know, I was counseling him, and the partner had he had been with had been shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I read her, I got that there was some, you know, um, some other deeper issue. It wasn't necessarily him. Uh, it was some things going on with him, but with her, there was something that she hadn't revealed to him. And I said, "How do I say this, you know, in a safe way so he understands what I'm saying, and that I'm not." divulging her privacy and I meditated about it and I had told him that there was some kind of um insect or sexual trauma that was to her and I needed him to go home and talk to her and just love her and show her this for a while and she went home and she says how did you know mm. and it was hard because he had to work up but his energy was just like um he said if he ran a across a wind and it was like his inner Connellini was like shooting out every energy it vibrates that yeah. it, it was so uncontrollable yeah. um, and he knew where she was coming from but 
when he understood it kind of still made it hard. He says, I still have this energy. What do I do with it? Uh, mm-hmm. That he finally sought out an acupuncturist. Um, acupuncturist, he went to, um, he went to like a couple other people, and he actually did Qigong as well as yoga. And he found that Qigong would even raise the energy even more. So I was like, whoa, um, you're getting out of my depth. So what I did is I recommended him to my friend that is a sexual therapist um, that works with that and other, you know, functions. Because now you're getting in something that I'm not aware of or how to help you with, especially with the energy being as high high as it was for him that he couldn't control is like, um, he's like, well, how did you deal with it when you became awakened? I don't, I did. It just happened, and I was able to shut it, um, or not shut it, control it, that it was able to function in uh, the society, that it was not out the roof. That's yeah. the best I could tell him. So I suggest you see my friend, and after doing all the holistic, it took him about six months. Is that normal to happen to women and men when they're Kundalini that it's like they're super sexual hyper, um, hypersensitive? You know, I I don't even think there is such a thing as normal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love, you know, you sharing that. I think that's so helpful for people to hear. Um, and, you know, just illustrating the fact that, you know, through her being shut down, um, he was carrying all of her disowned sexual energy as well. Do you know? So he was walking around like a champagne cork. It's going to blow. Right. You know? right. So, you know, because when two partners are so enmeshed mm-hmm. in their light bodies, their emotional bodies, their mental bodies, um, they can, you know, polarize. So, so great that, you know, you looked at what was happening in the dynamic with the partnership. Um, I'm very, very big on Mm self-pleasure, you know, so that when someone is feeling, you know, horny all the time because they've just unleashed all this energy um, by awakening their own kundalini, that, um, you know... It's so important they realize that they they don't need to go and discharge that energy with other people, yeah? That the art of self-pleasure is something that we, we're not taught when we become teens, but that we can literally loop that energy um, into deeper and deeper expanded states by using our own... Um, sexual chi and so we don't need to go on a rampage of free love you know um you know i in terms of helping people to um integrate kundalini emergence i haven't had that much experience because for the last oh god 15 years Mm-hmm. I've taken people through a step-by-step process of awakening their kundalini. So I haven't had a single client experience those psychotic kundalini emergent symptoms because we've done it step-by-step. Step. 
So that isn't to say that they didn't find the first three months very challenging because that's when we were really working with the lower self, with the ego, clearing out all the self-limiting thoughts, behaviours um, in the bottom three chakras. And so for clients that came to me to do, for instance, that seven-step Shakti awakening, I would give them a reading um, to see at what level of awareness each of their archetypes was and that would immediately tell me how closed or open their chakras were so I could flag which ones was completely shut down and might experience distress um, at, over the months that we were working with that archetype. So it's so important people have support when they're consciously awakening their kundalini. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that. That game's very good because, um, like I said, I did the best I could for as long as I could, and it took us like three months just to get it where, you know, it was to me um, where he was com a little bit more comfortable. But it took her about three months of actually opening up, and when she unloaded of the trauma that she had dealt with, he was like in awe. And, mm. you know, while well, I'm an ordained minister too, so, oh, wow. so it was like, wow, you know, what do I do? You know, it's like, you know, and being, um, having what they say, sight or information laid to me, that's what was being told. And I was like, how, you know, I didn't want to break our confidence. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, there are some sister lodges that get together. We do sweats together. We do all kinds of things that would make you feel comfortable through the deer tribe, um, and they do a lot of things, just that, um, getting together and the women sweating together and understanding your femininity power and your energy and just coming together as women and bringing forth, whether it's from the elderly to the young. Um, so especially when I was learning about all of this, uh, that trauma that is imprinted on our body, um, we don't realize the trauma that if it happened, it's still imprinted even if we shut it away. And something, something, someone does could trigger something, and you shut down. And you know, I met my my friend, and she was sex therapist, and that's what she was telling me. And I said, "Well, I'm going to refer them to you because this is out of my debt." <laughs> and that's great to have someone. Exactly, none of us are an island, so right. to have people around you that specialize. And I love that you mentioned acupuncture too. That's a wonderful tool for people to help just disperse the energy um, so that, you know, it's not all concentrated in the one area. Right. So, I mean, I love holistic um, ways of doing things. So that's why, you know, I'm comfortable talking about anything from A to Z, whether it be food or anything, because um, I guess basically my life is an open book. And I don't have any secrets, not from my family and mostly not my friends. I am what you see. And yeah. that's just how it's going to be. I'm not going to lie to you to make you feel better. And I'm going to let you know, you know, I have all kinds of things that this year um, that people are going to blow people away, their minds. And it's going to, like I said, every time people come in, I want them to come in with pencil and paper and take notes. Because 
If you have questions, this is the perfect platform for the next questions, or email me so that we can get together and help understand and balance each other because I'm going to have someone that is an expert where I am not and share their experience. And the thing is, um, I can't tell you about Secret Union because I've only been married for a, a little bit of time. My husband died um, mm. before, uh, you know, he died. I was with my husband for six months, and yeah. and he died. So that was my pattern of a great relationship. Sometimes I romanticize it, and mm-hmm. and it's not all true, mm-hmm. um, but... That's what you do when someone is on the I have a tendency to do, to see all the good and erase all the negative. But out of the negative came beautiful lessons of who I am today. Beautifully put. <laughs> and, you know, I love your transparency because that that is Eden, yeah? When <laughs> we completely drop the the masks, the persona, and just, you know, what you see is what you get and just letting your vulnerability out to be seen by the world, that's when we're at our most beautiful. That is the soul. So um, you're embodying that. Yes. I had a lot of beautiful teachers, you know what I mean, Um, um, that were helping me transpire. Like, um, I don't know if you know about anything about Shola Kwekwadosha. No. It's it's like um, some similarities to Tantra, um, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about really getting involved in some Tantra and have a better understanding so my views are not um, are Shilakwekwadosha based. Um, the information yes, that. Kwadosha, yes, I, yes, this is like the Native American version. Right. Thank so, you. <laughs> so I've taken all the cues except one and that's the last one q4 so um that was me coming out that just being open and understanding that's where i met a great friend um who is a sex therapist which is ina and karen and a lot of other people just being open and it was just um, no coincidence but the cosmic made it where i walked in her shop and was talking about what was going on with me um, because I'm that kind of open person, and she invited me, and I'm like, okay, what the heck is this? And it happened to be the next weekend, and I was like, I can't afford it. She said, if you really want something, you put it out there, you can make it happen. Well, of course, I was there that weekend, mm-hmm. um, and she made some things happen and arrange it, and I took one, and then I took two, and then took three, and then I became, um, you know, on staff to help them put it together, and using my food, and then I got a better understanding looking at it from both perspectives. And then I met Mookie. Um, who Thank I, you. Yeah. I love She's Mookie. She's local. <laughs> she, she teaches it here in Australia, Mookie O'Connor. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. love her. She was on my show and talking about taking your feminine power back. She's a powerhouse. If people just mm-hmm. knew, she's a serious powerhouse. Um, and she comes in here, and she's wonderful. And she's like she said, I'm from Australia, and her accent is just beautiful. But her understanding of feminine and masculine energy is just amazing. Um, so these are some powerful women and men that are embracing and trying to get people to understand their masculine and feminine energy because people think, oh, you only have to be masculine. Men do that cry. That's a bunch of hogwash. Men can cry. 
And men need to cry sometimes to release the emotion that has been entrapped in them. Women, you got to be the backbone. You can't break down. You can't do this. That's a bunch of hogwash, too. Women can be strong, but they also can lean on because we've been trained. Don't lean on the men that we've basically put more of a separation than unity together that they and yourself bring together for them to really understand about sacred union and what it stands for because we're able to give our children better understanding and not be ashamedful of the information that we're getting. I mean, I went and run into some wonderful people, wonderful people that since going there and just being open and like I, I've been saying, people that I'm encountered, they are a reflection or energetic me of what I can be or what I am abstaining to be in that arena that I have no knowledge of so that I can reach the understanding within myself at my own clear clarity. I think, too, that uh, what's exciting is that the Internet, independent media, such as Internet radio shows like this, mm-hmm. um, go there. Yeah, they speak about what uh, the truth. Whereas the commercial media of mainstream television, newspaper, radio, they're bought. So they're only selling illusions with an agenda. So um, more and more people are unplugging from that matrix of television being a corporate vision of how the world should be. Um, Everyone consuming rather than being. Um, to forums like this where we get to take our power back simply by sharing the truth. I love that. See, that's awesome. And like I said, it's all about empowerment this year and understanding our empowerment, our masculine empowerment, our feminine empowerment. And we, as we come together within ourselves, because there's two part of us, as that being, the sexual, feminine, and masculine being, and that they can work in harmony. So that's why I love love and harmony and united, not separation. That's just the hardcore that I believe, love. Love can connect anything and everyone. That's the one thing that we can say that we have in common is love. That energy is so powerful. That's just me. No, absolutely. It's cohesion. Yeah, love is about connection. And after, you know, there are three stages to our evolution as a species. The first is where we are still within the group mind that conditioned us for fear of being excluded and not surviving on our own. But when we're operating in that group mind, um we often are suppressing who we really are inside in order to fit in. The second stage where we individuate is where we rebel against our early conditioning and we do the exact opposite uh, and we break away, we drop out. Mm -hmm. And um, the third stage is when we come back together but as self-realized beings to form an interdependent conscious community based on a celebration of both what we have in common as well as our diversity. So we're not 
um, bonded by being the same only, like a homogenized society that has been sold to us. And likewise, we're not at that second stage of being, you know, so separate from each other that we're all doing it tough. And that's what we're coming out of now. We're realizing through our vulnerabilities that we need greater connection, greater cohesiveness, which is love, brotherly love, sisterly love, um, and love of the innate um, creative force within everything, call it what you will. So it's an exciting time to be alive in terms of us now looking at how we can recreate our society to reflect those values. Okay. See, that's awesome. That's awesome, that's awesome, that's awesome. See, connected, connecting, 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 and that we're not far away from each other and that we're going to just keep connecting because each person that you make a connection to, they'll make a connection. And, and eventually my thing is that that three or, the third or fourth person, that connection is the connection that sometimes come back, is the person that you, you know, that originally started. It comes back to you. So it's just you like you you spill it out you spill it out and then it comes back to you exactly what you had put out so that's the, just the beautiful thing about the energy yeah it's beautiful it's really hey can I just ask if people have missed the interview because I put out the wrong time <laughs> can they click on the link after it's taken place and still listen to it yes it goes right to archives it takes a couple of minutes. To go to archives and they can always go back. They can listen as much as they want to, and um, also they can um, go and when they see the show, if they do on the internet, um, it'll pop up and they can listen. They can push uh, follow. So if you want anybody out there that's new here, um, you can always push uh, follow Food Alchemy at its greatest and put there and post a comment to let us know what you thought about today's show. Um, if you're a follower of mine, let me know, you know, what do you thought about the show and maybe some questions that they might have for you that they can get in touch with you, you know, and you'll be able to answer them or, you know, even book a session as well as me putting um, her information in the room, which I'll do again. Thank so you. That- I'm not actually doing sessions at the moment because um, I'm finishing the two Sacred Union books Um, The second one's coming out on Valentine's Day, February 14, and the third one is coming out on Mother's Day, May 12. Uh, The third one is create or living in a state of sacred union with the natural cycles. So um, because I'm also focusing on launching these online courses to train facilitators, that um, is taking up my time. So I'm not doing any private sessions currently. Okay, that's good. I didn't even mention that because I know that you're tired about your <coughs> your you know your inner inner goddess readings, which uh, when I looked at it, it just changed a lot of women's life behind that. A yeah, lot of that, women. Yeah, thank you. Look, I would love to bring that out as um, you know, like an oracle deck. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same. In fact, the sacred union deck so that um, both singles and couples can use it as a tool. So, um, yeah, I look forward to generating the capital to create that. (laughs) Okay, it can happen. Do you know Dr. Kenneth uh, 
Stubbs? Kid of oh, Race Girls? yes, I know his work. I don't know him personally, yeah. Okay, he was on the show, and he has a deck you might want to look at. They're beautiful. Oh. Okay. It's a shaman sexual um, uh, deck, and it's very beautiful, and he's very, like, I'm, I love his work. Um, and I just had the, the the delicious pleasure of him being on my show and mm. just giving it an understanding where uh, he made everybody feel comfortable when he broke it down about the energy and he took away the thing about feeling dirty. You know what I mean? And that's oh, what I want to get rid of, that stigma of it's dirty because it's part of who you are. When you deny, the the most thing you deny is the most thing that creeps up to you and is up in your face daily. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, go ahead. I, I still see this in a lot of um, tantric uh, rhetoric that, you know, there can still be an asceticism, you know, a sense of um, only validating what's termed as high sex or sacred sex and for us to be um, multi-orgasmic beings Mm -hmm. we need to understand the seven lovemaking languages and allow that expression of those bestial um, base chakra archetypes and the wild man and Lilith the wild woman and that they have just as much divine right to their expression as the other um, holy couples at the seven gates. So, you know, ultimately I see love making as a decastation menu, you know, seven courses. Um, so there's just as much um, validity to having, you know, a really good, uh, lusty, sexual, you know, uh, quickie as mm-hmm. there is a full moon. Uh, sacred union rites. I like that. And I none of it's dirty. <laughs> none <laughs> of it. It's all natural and it's all sacred. Anything natural is sacred, you know? Right. It's almost like giving birth. And, yeah. And that is about as natural, but then you, they had stigmatized that as well. Um, you know, where once upon a time, men... Uh, men were not allowed in the birthing room um, when women gave birth. And then back then, some women were not allowed to participate. They have just, like, made it so anesthetic that women were knocked out and then they woke up and a baby was put in their hands. Yeah. So they didn't have, have the natural urge to push or do anything. It was just right there. You know what I mean? That- yeah, all been part of the subjugation of those wild selves that govern the base chakra. Mm-hmm. So, And those two archetypes are the two that connect us to our primal power. So you can see the evidence of how they've been suppressed, demonized in every facet of our modern lives. And birth is one of those areas, you know, and so is sexuality, you know. I um, In the next book that I'm bringing out, I speak a lot about pornography mm-hmm. and, um, you know, how that has come out of that subjugation of Pan, the, the beast, mm-hmm. the wild man, you know. Um, and, yeah, so uh, absolutely through empowering, re-empowering, embracing, loving those archetypes, they will have a healthy expression 
of their primal lusty urges without it taking on very dark um, expressions. So, uh, someone wanted to know what is our archetype? Archetype. An archetype is a psychological aspect within us. So, the archetypes um, are the, the main characters in the myths that we grew up with. So, Ares, the warrior, um, the god of war, he is an archetype. He is an aspect within the male psyche. Or his counterpart, Aphrodite, also known as Venus or Freya, uh, depending on which culture that you you know grew up in, she is an archetype or a facet of the inner feminine psyche. She is the maiden um, who goes looking for love. So um, when we understand these archetypes, we piece together the fullness of our our soul's expression. And there's seven feminine and seven masculine archetypes that make up the soul. So they literally act as different facets for the light of our soul to emanate through so that we are literally the diamond blueprint. Um, The more facets we uncover, the more coloured light our light body can uh, put out. Okay. Would you like to name the seven, seven for them so they don't know? Um, yeah, look, the masculine ones, we've got Pan, the wild man at the base. Then we have Ares, the warrior at the sacral. Then we have Apollo, who is like the statesman at the solar plexus. At the heart, we have the green man. Now, the green man, very ancient archetype, uh, which we're now reclaiming. Um, and he's replacing the dark father archetype that was sold to us, which is Hades, the king of the underworld, mm-hmm. um, Zeus, the stern sky father that was disconnected from himself and his children and his partner, and Poseidon, the um, emotional god of the seas that wreaks havoc. Those were all patriarchal prototypes, not archetypes. And I speak about that in my book, um, Creating Sacred Union Within. Um, then at the throat we have Chiron, the healer. At the third eye, Hermes, the sage or the magician. And then at the crown, uh, Dionysus, the god of ecstasy. For women, at the base we have Lilith, mm-hmm. who is known in different cultures uh, by the names Kali, um, Pele, Sekhmet, mm-hmm. uh, she is the primal wild woman, the serpent goddess that awakens us. At the sacral, we have Aphrodite, the maiden, uh, who. Oh, we're getting the wind up. Then at the solar plexus, <laughs> Athena, who is the inner heroine. At the heart, we have Demeter, the earth empress, or the inner mother. At the throat, we have Artemis, the medicine woman. The third eye, Hecate, who is the wise woman, and at the crown, Ishtar, the Magdalene, or the Tantric, uh, Tantrika High Priestess. Wow. I so love people, that. Thank you. If people want more info about those aspects and how to create the inner marriage by balancing those inner aspects, 
they can uh, pick up a copy of my latest book, which is available on my website, staravishtar.com, and the book is called Sacred Union. Okay, that is awesome. I think this is a beautiful show. Thank um, you for having me. No problem. You know, we have to come. I have a question for you myself. Do mm-hmm. you know anything about pansexual and transsexual and polyamory and these, uh, what is it called, these and triads? Well, that opens up a whole <laughs> half-hour conversation. <laughs> I think I might have to come back on after those. Um <laughs> I do speak about them in my book, but yeah, um, I'm passionate about those subjects. Um, in particular, polyamory. I'm not um, an advocate of it mm-hmm. um, because, you know, for me, it it doesn't acknowledge and honour the needs of the inner child uh, who governs the sacral. And if it's if it's not honouring and safe for all archetypes, then I'm not an advocate of that type of union. And I see polyamory as the Aquarian energy, but being expressed in a very Piscean way. Um, so pursuing those archetypes in external individual people, rather than realising that all of those archetypes are within all of us. And when we understand that, we can find everything we need through deep intimacy with one person rather than keeping it shallow and looking um, to lots of people. I do believe that one person cannot meet all of our needs and that's why we need conscious community. But I don't think we need to um, enmesh ourselves sexually um, with lots of different people, I think that that leads to a lot of emotional complexities uh, that aren't honouring. Um, yeah, what was the other question? <laughs> I was wondering if you had knew about them because I was doing a show on polyamory mm-hmm. and the aspects of it and uh, what it's all about, basically. So I was you know, just wondering, you know, what it is. Because I know, well, I know in New Zealand that it's really, from my seeing on the website, it's really big over there. I don't know how big a world um, it is in Australia or not of the information that's being given out. Yeah, look, I, um, it's quite prevalent. Um, and look, you know, different strokes for different folks. But right. personally, it does not resonate uh, with my heart as being uh, a conscious and honouring um, way forward, you know. I see it as a real throwback to that tough period in the 1960s of calling it free love, but it's basically just promiscuity and lust, mm. uh, which then has tantric jargon overlaid to justify it. But I see it as the lower self. Um, driving the bus, you know. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No problem. <laughs> I feel that it comes from our deep soul yearning for brotherly love and sisterly love, but we need to understand how we can form truly 
loving connections with people without getting that confused with seduction, which mm-hmm. is when we engage with the lower emotional body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes, you know, about the ego. Sure. But I speak about this in more detail in my books if people are interested on my views on polyamory. Okay. That sounds yeah. good. Which is called Sacred Union. Yep. And yep. you can be found on Facebook at Operation Red Tent. You can also go to her website. Um, let me see. Let me see if I can pronounce it the right way. Star of Ishtar. Star That's of, right. Star of com. And yeah. you'll see all the wonderful things that she has there. That's for people that are in archive and that are on the phone line. Um, we're just sharing this information. So I'm hoping everybody had a wonderful time. And we thank you for being our guest. So what I'm going to do, as I normally do, is um, sing you um, Ashe, Mur, Ankh, and Peace, Light, and prosperity and many blessings. Thank you and you. Thanks. And uh, to everyone that took the time to tune in and listen, thank you so much. Right. And for anybody who's an archive, you can always listen to it again as you want and stop it and write down anything. If you have any questions, you can always email me um, on Facebook um, or go to the foodalchemist.us website. And find me and tell me your contact information with your questions, and I'll be sure to get them to our guest, our lovely guest, and say thank you so much. Thank you for you listening. This has been Food Alchemy with Chef Sussie, and it's been a blessing. So what I'm going to do is play my little commercial, which I usually do, my little promo commercial, and then we're out of here. Well, I'm out of here. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. I will be in touch to see if we can have you on again. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. You too. All right. See you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Welcome to Food Alchemy at its greatest. Sponsored by It's Vegan and It Tastes Good by Chef Ceci Food Alchemist. You want to obtain her service, you can reach her at the website www.thesoodalchemist dot us. The other website is www.veggiesbecomeyou, which is www.veggiesbecomeyou dot com. You can obtain her services for consultation, for food transition detoxing programs, menu planning, pantry raids, seminars, and workshops. And if you also would like to get the book, It's Vegan and It Tastes Good by Chef Sussie Food Alchemist, you can go to the website, thefoodalchemist.us, veggiesbecomeyou.com, or call where we can reach you, 480 480- Two three two nine nine three zero. That number again is four eight zero two three two 
1-800-273-9930. If nothing else, stop by the Food Alchemist or Veggies Become You page to sign up for a free newsletter that's offered once a month with delightful, informative information along with recipes. We hope that you enjoyed this show and that we will hear from you soon. Namaste. Blessings. Hotep. Ashe. And Mer. Love. Peace. And happiness. Okay. We are out of here. If you have any questions, you can always call 480-253-9407. That number again is 480-253-9407 and someone will respond to you. Please leave a message after the sound of the tone and what your message is pertaining to and me or my assistants will get back to you. This is Food Alchemy with Chef Sessie the Food Alchemist. Have a blessed and wonderful night.